Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. Back to The Bald Face Truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. You know what, Stephen? We should have. We probably should have started with a different song in this segment. You know what I'm saying? Like a Beatles song? Yeah, I should have. I should have been on that. that. That's on me. I thought about it. You know, here's what I would pick. Yogi Roth of the Pac-12 Networks is coming on. I would do this song. Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Network superstar. <laughs> oh, that was good. Didn't anticipate that one coming, bro. Appreciate yeah. it. It's been a great day so far. Yeah, yeah. give me an idea. Like, surfer, father, husband, Pac-12 Network analyst, Yogi Roth. How does, like, how do you celebrate a birthday? You know, I've got two requests every year on my birthday, and my wife knows it. Uh, one is the whole family go surfing, sunrise. So we did that, took everybody, baby, seven-year-old, the whole nine yards. We were in the ocean, the sun was coming up. And then two, uh, I always ask uh, at least our seven-year-old for a note. I want to see what he would write, what he would draw. <laughs> and I keep them all. You know, I'm that guy. Like, if you saw my office, it's full of, like, seven, six, five, four, three-year-old artwork. And now we got a two-year-old bringing it home from daycare or preschool or whatever it is. So, yeah, man, that's it. I'm simple. I don't need a cake. I don't need a party. I just want the ocean, <laughs> and I want some sort of memento. I love that. Uh, I I love that, and uh, you know that's good. That's good ritual. We should all do that. We should all have like two things. These are our two things. Be simple. Uh, that's a good way to start a birthday. Uh, hey, let me ask you before we get knee deep into George Klyovkov and the Pac-12 and all, all everything that's going on. Like, you know, you guys, it, it's it's come up numerous times in the summer that people like the content, the production of the Pac-12 networks. People can bellyache about, hey, it's not available here, not available there. There's nothing you can do about that. But what has that been like for you to kind of the pride and the number of people that over the years who have contributed to making the Pac-12 network a, you know, a quality experience, uh, distribution aside? Yeah, I'm most proud of this when I look at my professional career more than anything. You know, to be honest with you, like over a decade now, um, there's not many things you can see from the very beginning. That's why I love like first-year coaching staffs and people that get on those staffs. Like it doesn't happen very often in your career. Like you feel that euphoria, that excitement, the potential. Um, and then to be there for as long as we have, I, you know, on behalf of like Ted Robinson, my partner who's changed my life, Ashley Adamson, one of my best friends. Michael Molinari, I'd put his production skills up against anybody in college football. I'd put our crew up against the number one game in college football. I, I would, and that's not like an arrogant take. I just think that when you look at how we view the game, how we prep for the game, how we know three deep of every team, the storylines, um, I'm really proud of it because that's our job. You know, When we got the gig, it wasn't like, hey, you're going to 
go to a different conference every weekend. Like, I have empathy for people that do that. Because how can you really follow a league? Like, you follow the narratives, you follow the storylines. It's, you know, part of your lifeblood of what you do every day. But, you know, if you're covering games in the ACC, you can't know everything about Cal football and Arizona and all the things in between. And that's what our job is. So I, I always say to our crew before we call every game, one, like I hit the talk back and I say, let's go call the national championship. Let's call the Rose Bowl. Like we treat it like that. And then we take a ton of pride in, in taking you to storylines story that maybe you didn't know. And I think for us what's really fun is when, like Brock Heward gets our game afterwards, or when Mike Tirico is calling Notre Dame games, or Herbie or Reese Davis, like they'll call Ted or me in advance of the game. They're like, hey, I just watched the broadcast. Like, that was cool. Tell me more about this. Um, and, and I think that's been fun for us to, to have that responsibility and then show up and do it. And it's always nice to hear from people that do watch it. And what I love now, especially like our game Saturday, um, you can go to Fubo, you can go to Sling, like you can get it. You know, like it's not like it was in year one or year two, and you really it was, it was a hard time finding it if your cable provider didn't have it. Like, there's a way. So um, that's how I think we advance the story, and it's not perfect, but it's not like it's in the abyss and you can't watch it anymore. I asked George Skiavkov uh, in this podcast that Willner and I did with him this interview. You know, what happens to the Pac-12 networks? And you know, it sounds like he and the presidents and chancellors want this thing to exist beyond this media rights deal and that there's a chance it ends up with a streaming service or you know with with some kind of app that people have to pay for but it it looks like the Pac-12 network would would live on like what's the point in 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 killing it off um what does that mean to you like knowing that you know that people do see that the value in in what you guys are doing and and think that there's a platform for all these other sporting events that aren't football as well as the football yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, there's a few things. Like, number one, I, I've i always, since day one, really appreciated the leadership from George Klyovkov. You know, he's a guy who sees the big picture, uh, right? Like, we're in the grander rights world, right? I, I didn't listen to the whole thing. I'm only a few minutes into your conversation. Uh, I look forward to finishing it up, man, because uh, he's a great guy and love what you and John are doing. Uh, but I think also you look at the macro of, like, what's the job? right? Like, And I love how Commissioner Klyovkov believes in the student-athlete experience. Right, regardless of sport, and I think all these athletes deserve to be celebrated. And I think when your game, you know, whether it's softball or an Olympic sport or something outside of the, you know, men's and women's basketball and college football, like you deserve to have a place for your game to be aired and people to, to watch you because you might be the best in the world at what you do. Like you might go win an Olympic gold or numerous ones at your respective sports. I love that regarding our conference and history that it has stood on for a long time. And then regarding football, like, I love that when he shared that with you. Um, he shared that with us as well. Um, and cause I think that's how it should be. You know, our league should have its own network. Right? Our league should have a place to stand up and tell features on players like Alex Forsythe or Tanner McKee or, you know, the dozens that we've done over the last couple years. Uh, we should have the places and the platforms to elevate those stories so other networks can watch and learn from them. Like last year, I had Trent McDuffie on my podcast on the Pac-12 Networks, and then I got a call from ESPN and ABC saying, hey, we're going to do a feature on him. Thanks for doing that story because we didn't know about him and his brother and what he went through and when his brother lost his life. So I look at, like, our job is to elevate and help out other places to be aware of these guys' stories. So it helps them in the NFL. It helps them get a job. It helps them in phases of their life. It puts a smile on, you know, Cam Ward's dad when I had him on podcast. He DMing me saying, 
man, that was awesome. I really, I learned something about my son. I, I loved how he answered that. So those are the things that I think our job is to do. And it's my, it's my job 365 to know this league inside and out. And I love that there's going to be a home for it. Uh, it'll change. It'll be different. Uh, but I'll tell you, I'm excited. And, and I love that, you know, Commissioner Kliofkoff and his staff, they've got a commitment to that. And they should, because I think that's the right thing for the sports within our league, especially the one that I love most in football. Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Networks analyst, is with us. It's his birthday today. This is how he's choosing to spend it. Uh, let's talk about the respect of this conference. 11-1 uh, in the Pacific Northwest. USC, UCLA undefeated. I, I expect the AP Top 25 poll to come out and see, you know, Washington State and Oregon State maybe somewhere between 20 and 25 in the poll and it doesn't happen, am I a homer? What is going on here? Why don't? Why doesn't this conference get the respect it deserves? Yeah, well, look, and I've said this on a couple different shows this week, of like to the, all the voters, like, you know, hit me up. I'm here to help. You know, like, I'm not going to be the guy that's going to, you know, cry about it and yell about it. I want to help. You know, and I say that because when I look at, like, Oklahoma State, they beat Central Michigan, who lost to South Alabama which I covered that game this weekend against UCLA. They beat Arizona State in a tighter game than we thought. Arizona State no longer has their head coach. And they beat Arkansas Pine Bluff. Haven't really done a lot. Michigan State, in advance of the UW game, they did the same thing UW did. You know, beat up opponents that they should beat up. I can go down the list. Wake Forest. VMI, Vanderbilt, Liberty, one-point win over Liberty. That more impressive than what Washington State has done, what Oregon State has done? Like, no chance. So I say this, like I, I love the hype on college football as much as the next guy, and that's what the preseason poll is. Same thing with A&M, same thing with Miami. You know, but when we get through at least three games, you've got context around Oregon putting it on BYU who beat Baylor. How are not one of our teams higher than where Baylor or BYU is ranked right now when you look at the league? Or you have context on a Washington State win on the road, shutting out Wisconsin in one of the most challenging places in the country. How is that win not given more credence? Oregon State, their first two games are as respected of a group of five team as you're going to find if you want to just go on historicals. Then they beat the number four team in the country at their respected level in Montana State and, and smoked them over the weekend. Like, they did everything they could, and normally you'd be like, ah, who cares about AP rankings? But I say this, from uh, I'm on the, the group that presents the CFP committee on behalf of the Pac-12, along with our commissioner, Mert Hanks and company. And you hear things like a ranked win in week four a ranked loss in week five, like that thing comes up. Well, the ranking is often the AP. So I, I do think it has a little bit of an impact. And that's why I think it's fair to call it out and say, hey, what's going on here? Because now whether it's USC, I'm calling this weekend, or Oregon, if they win their game, it's not over a ranked team, and it should be. And vice versa, if Wazoo or Oregon State win, they jump to 22 well, they should already be sitting somewhere around that and jump to 13, jump to 11, like should, especially if Oregon State beats a top 10 SC. So, so that's where I think it's fair to call out. So, no, I don't think you're being a homer. I think we're looking at a ranking system that is broken, right? It's part historical, Michigan. I understand that, right? And it's part reality, Kentucky. They deserve that. But I think that when I look at Arkansas, when I look at Oklahoma State, when I look at some of these teams that are ranked and they don't have a lot of quality wins, I said, well, what are we doing? Like, you got to give credit to the teams that win. So, so that's where my where my my issue is. And again, I'm not yelling. I'm just saying, hey, we're here to help. If you, if you don't watch the games, call you, call me, text us. Like, we'll help you out. 
Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Networks with us. Oregon State, you mentioned them. They're going to get USC at home. Uh, I'm sad to say this. It might be the last time USC goes to Corvallis. Like, you know, I don't know if they'll go back there after they leave for the Big Ten Conference, and this might be it. Um, there have been some big games there. I think Oregon State fans would love nothing more than to send USC off with a loss. How do you see this game? How, you know, you'll be at this one, I think, and, you know, how, how is this game looking to you? Oh, it's the game of the day, man. It's awesome. A top 25 matchup, if you will. Uh, I can't wait to, to call it on a bunch of fronts. I think one, uh, and we'll talk about this in the open, is that USC offensively is as elite as we've seen early on this season in college football, and especially what they've done in the first half of their games. Uh, you, you look at the first half of their games, and they scored a touchdown on 11 of their 14 drives. And for Oregon State, I think a big strength of their team is their back end. You know, I've often said, I, I don't know if Oregon State has a first-round pick, but I don't know if they have a weakness. I felt that in training camp, and I feel that way even now. And I can't wait to see the length of Rayshon Wright and Alex Austin, Jaden Grant, that, that entire back end. who's got so much experience, play a lot of press man coverage, a lot of mano y mano. I got you. You got me. Let's, let's see how this thing shakes out down the field. What do the officials do? They let them play. They let a lot of contact happen. Like, I can't wait to watch that because I think if Oregon State can just survive the first quarter and that onslaught that I referenced, um, the big play, explosive play onslaught that SC's been able to do against everybody, they're going to be okay. Like, this game will go into the fourth quarter. And then on the flip side, I look at the offensive line. And, you know, there isn't a more respected offensive line coach, you know, in the country when you talk about Jim Halchick and what this group has done. You you have to talk about the enhanced deep ball. That's just a chance no one. I just had him on our podcast with Ted Robinson earlier today. There's a big focus of his going into his offseason, and you've proven to see it. If they can run the ball, set up the play-action pass, and not turn it over and survive the first quarter, like this is a team that's going to take it late, much like they did in the Utah game. Like If you can just give them a chance late, I do think that their home stadium will have an opportunity to be an advantage in, in what will be a unique environment. And what they can't do is – what they've done every week is they've had uncharacteristic drops, deep ball drops. Like They can't do those in this game. Like They're going to have to play extremely consistent and efficient football to beat one of the top ten teams in America. And defensively, they're going to have to slow this high-powered attack down, which isn't easy. they got two of the best players in America, Jordan Addison and Caleb Williams. When I look at USC last year, Yogi, you saw it. Oregon State pushed them all around the Coliseum. Has anything changed personnel-wise on the offensive and defensive lines for USC? Oh, yeah. I mean, you just look at their play of the game last week with Solomon Bird, who's starting at Wyoming last year, um, number 51. You'll feel his presence. Um, I think scheme-wise, it's dramatically changed. I mean, it's like a one-gap scheme now. You'll see the movement from Alex Finch on the defensive front. You, know, you add to their front seven with a Shane Lee and an Eric Gentry and the linebackers that I think would play in a lot of places around the country. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a, it's a more physical group in the front seven. I think on the old line, we saw them play their best game of the year against Fresno State. This is kind of vintage Lincoln-Riley when you study it, of pulling offensive linemen, tight ends moving, a, a lot of cross motion. Some of the stuff that Oregon State has done at times that really confuse and cause hesitation by a defense. So it's offensive line, same personnel for the most part other than the left tackle than they had last year. Uh, defensive front seven, probably 50% different when you look at the players that are rotating in. Uh, but it's just a totally different scheme. 
And it's a totally different vibe. I mean, what Lincoln Riley has done is masterful to get players in this era to blindly trust. You know, I think Travis Dye talked about earlier this week of that's the most connected team he's ever been on. And, you know, that's saying something. He's been on some really talented and connected teams. Um, so I'm, I'm, I can't wait, man. It's, it's going to be fun in that regard. And to your point, Stanford ran the ball. Fresno State ran the ball. I think Oregon State will have their opportunities to run the ball, and SC is going to know that they're going to go do that. So that, that, that's why I love it. I mean, this is it's early to make a statement like this, but I still feel it. Is that like it's going to have a vibe of a championship game. There's a ton of stakes on the field. You referenced it the last time. There's, there's other elements off the field. The stadium's kind of funky. I can't wait to get there. I saw it in spring, but never for a game. It's standing room only. It's going to be cool, man. It's going to be you know elements of what we love in college football. How does Oregon State win that game? If if you're building a case for them, uh, you know, beating Lincoln Riley and USC. Yeah, they're very capable of winning this game. Um, I, I think some of the things that we talked about. If I were them and you win the coin toss, I'd take the ball. And I say that, like, can you just eliminate a possession or two in the first half? Right? And if you don't, can you win, like, what is often coined the middle eight, the last four minutes of the second quarter, the first four minutes of the third quarter? Like, can you go two for one there? Can you get a late score, get the ball back, get an early one? Those are the things I think you have to do against SC. You know, time of possession is one thing, but possessions is the other thing. And I, I really believe they're going to have to, they're going to want to have one or two more possessions in SC. So can you do it, whether it's through the middle eight, whether it's taking the ball, whether it's you know, the elapsing of the clock, running the ball. Um, I think those things are an example. I mean, they have to control the line of scrimmage. Uh, and I think they can. Like, I think they'll, I think they're going to move the ball. I mean, since year one, Jonathan Smith moved the ball pretty much against everybody they played, you know, for the most part. So I think they'll do that. And then on the backside, you, know, you look at Stanford. It's 21-7. Stanford's inside the one. They're about to score. E.J. Smith fumbles. And you look up, and it's 38-14. Mm. You know, I, I called the Rice game. Rice moved the ball on SC. And you look up, and it's like they're up by 40. Like, whoa. Like, they just – that's what we used to do back in the day when I was at SC. It was like you would just score at will. And it was like, okay, you can play good football as an opponent, but if you don't score touchdowns, like, we're going to. And that's where this SC offense is going. I mean, they, bro, you, you watch Mario Williams play, and you say, whoa, find a more explosive player in this league. And then you say, oh, there's number three, Jordan Addison. <laughs> He's right there. Oh, I need a big-bodied wider. Okay, Brendan Rice. Hey, give me give me somebody out of the backfield that can just win a, in space. Really, Brown. He might be the most explosive guy they got. Oh, then Travis Dye, you know, one of the career highs in rushing in this league, right? Fifth most in Oregon history when you look at what he's done at his previous school. So he's got weapons, and I, I think Caleb is as special as he's touted to be. He's a he's a one percenter man. So it, I don't think it's like you need Herculean effort to beat him, uh, but you have to play really efficient. You can't turn it over. You can't have drops. Things of that nature. Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Networks. I will see you at the stadium. Happy birthday to you. Uh, let's catch up before the game. I look forward to it, brother. Stay safe. All right. There he is. Birthday boy. Yogi Roth. Is it just me, Stephen, or when he's talking about USC, I want everyone to beat him. We'll talk about that coming up. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
the 4 o'clock hour. Anna will join us. We'll talk more about the Pac-12. George Kiyopkov, if you missed it, broke his silence. He had been silent essentially since July 29th at Pac-12 Media Day. Did an interview with John Wilner of the Bay Area News Group and myself last night. Happened right after this radio show. Klyovkov, uh, at about 6.30 last night, said uh, he was willing to do the interview. We booted it up, and Wilner and I just peppered him. Peppered him with questions, asked him all the things I thought you would want to know about. We'll talk about it coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. In the meantime, our big splash. It is the one thing that you need to know. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The big well, a fan was arrested for allegedly throwing a bottle at Cleveland Browns owner Jimmy Haslam on Sunday. Jeffrey Miller, 51, was arrested on complaints of assault, failure to comply with a lawful order, and disorderly conduct. Browns are planning to ban Miller from returning to First Energy Stadium. Uh, the NFL Network first reported that the fan would be banned. They got video of Haslam walking to the Browns' tunnel uh, just as the uh, Jets receiver, Garrett Wilson, scored the winning winning touchdown. Bottle hit Haslam. He looked up to try to find the fan who threw it. Police later identified Miller as a suspect using stadium video surveillance. Act normal. Act right when you're in a stadium. shouldn't be chanting things that you shouldn't be chanting. You shouldn't be throwing things you shouldn't be throwing. Do your parents need to come with you to the stadium? Four o'clock hour coming up. Leave it here. Get the bald-faced truth. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the bald hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the bald-faced truth radio show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the bald-faced truth radio show. Thanks for listening.